0: New series we start this morning. Um, This will take us through the month of August, um, and 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 it's a new series that's rooted, I think, in an old series. At least that's where I was prodded to think about these things. Three years ago, we went through the Book of Ecclesiastes. Um, One of the themes that comes through so often in Ecclesiastes is that life is fleeting, like a vapor. It's here and then it disappears. It's not something you can grab hold of and just cling to. Uh, it was not a lesson, the idea that life is fleeting, that the writer of Ecclesiastes, presumably Solomon, it's not a lesson that he knew intuitively. The reality is Ecclesiastes is sort of like his diary of uh, of experiencing all of this, of trying to test all of this. He, he's working through in Ecclesiastes his search for something lasting, something that would make him feel a sense of accomplishment and significance. And he had the wealth to do a whole variety of things. He could pursue wisdom and knowledge. He could build things, do construction projects and build vineyards and and all sorts of things. He poured a lot of his wealth into not only construction but into work and enjoyed his work but also sought more from out of his work than it could actually give back to him looking for that sense of significance. And then, of course, he talks in Ecclesiastes about pleasure and and just a wide-ranging pursuit of pleasure to try to find meaning in all of these things that the message of the book is they're fleeting. They keep going away. And so at the end of it all, Solomon ultimately faces the reality that is in front of all of us. We eventually all meet the same end. If something doesn't take your life prematurely, then Ecclesiastes 12 says you will grow old, your body will wear out, And begin to fail, and ultimately one day it will return to the dust, and your soul will stand before your creator. It might sound bleak in that sense, but it's not. The the message of Ecclesiastes is, no, rather enjoy God today. Enjoy the one thing that is true and lasting. There is purpose, there is meaning, and this God has blessed us with things to enjoy, albeit that they are fleeting. Uh, That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes, who's who's apparently writing in his latter years, is really writing to a younger audience. He's trying to say to them, don't don't waste your life. Don't walk down all of the same failed paths I did, trying to grab on to things and stuff and relationships and, and, and find your meaning in these, rather find it in God. And so part of his message, that life under the sun as he describes it, life here on earth, is that it just goes by so fast. I don't know about you, but I have, I have yet to meet someone my age or older who has come to that place and said, ha, huh, I finally made it to age 60. I've been waiting so long for this, and it's, it, things have gone so slowly, or I have I've finally made it to 70, and it, it just, boy, it just took forever to get here. Uh, on the contrary, we know that's not the case. The reality is that for, for most all of us, It's the exact opposite. It's how did I get here so quickly? How did this happen so fast? How does it feel like somebody turned up the speed somewhere along the way and it all went by and I'm much closer to the end than to the beginning? By the end of Ecclesiastes, then the writer's saying, listen, I'm telling you from experience, if all you do is spend your time grabbing at things in life, trying to find meaning and purpose, in your skills, and your accomplishments, your occupation, your stuff, your relationships, you name it, you will never find that kind of ultimate satisfaction that you were meant to find in the Creator, that you were meant to find in God, because all of this stuff is just fleeting. It's like vapors. What I want to do for this month of August and for this series is, is talk about holding things loosely, actually taking... That sort of Ecclesiastes perspective into practical terms in everyday life and holding things more loosely, attitudes, desires, things in life, relationships, things that we have a tendency sometimes to grip real firmly, things that scripture would implore us to hold more loosely. So if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, we'll start there. That's where this series is heading. This morning, though, I I just want to start by recalling things that we are to hold fast to. Before we talk about all the things we're to hold loosely, there are several things in Scripture that we are commanded to hold firmly and to keep holding on to them. This will not be an exhaustive list, but I think it will hit the high points of things that we are called to hold fast. And so Philippians 2, verse 14 it says do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain the, the verses that immediately precede this verses 12 and 13 urge us as believers to obey. It's the work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But they also explain that it is a grace-enabled obedience, that it is because of God at work in us, to will and to work according to his purpose, that we can obey. But nonetheless, there is a fundamental call to be obedient And in fact, that obedience is characterized, one of the ways that it's described is in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's one example of what it means to obey the Lord, to do all things without arguing and complaining. Something that is completely different from the world around us. In in not arguing and complaining, grumbling or disputing, we are resisting the urge to, to two of the most common human Tendencies From Genesis to Revelation and throughout history ever since, so much of man's sin is rooted in his being discontent, in his arguing to make a point, in his determination to, to say and contend for what he believes and, and not being satisfied. And there's the call is to resist that to resist that sense of grumbling, disputing, arguing, complaining. And and Philippians says, if we will do that, the passage explains, we will stand out like lights in darkness. In the midst of a twisted, crooked generation, we will stand out. How we endure hardships, how we experience temptation, how we respond to conflict, all of those things, if we can be obedient to Christ, we will look distinctively different. But the thing about that, lights shining in the darkness and grabbing people's attention, is we're we're not obviously doing that to draw people's attention to ourselves. We're doing that to point them to Christ. And there is an evangelistic purpose in all of this. That's why in verse 16, when he says holding fast, it is holding fast to the word of life. It's a phrase that Paul only uses here, word of life. It's not hard to figure out what he means by that. He is talking about that teaching, that word, that explanation, which brings life, which brings eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. Paul's referring to that word that brings life. It's the gospel the very salvation that he wrote about in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that that salvation is rooted in this word of life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that the son of God came in flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he gave himself on the cross in sacrifice for our sins, and that he then rose again victorious to give forgiveness and eternal life to all who hold fast the word of life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of life that we are called to hold fast to in Philippians chapter 2 is the life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is an ongoing truth command here. It is a. It is the ongoing reality of the Christian life. This is to always hold fast to it. As we are light shining in the darkness, we are doing so because we are clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is this ongoing present tense sense of the gospel. Often when Christians speak about their Sort of uh, encounter with the gospel they, they sometimes use past tense language i I trusted in Jesus Christ, I believed in Jesus Christ, I accepted Jesus Christ uh, I was saved and, and, and typically they're, they're past tense terms that that are appropriate in a in a testimony, and yet the reality of the New Testament is that our our relationship with the gospel is ongoing and present tense. A believer in Jesus Christ is someone who continues to trust in Jesus Christ, who continues to believe the gospel, who who keeps on depending on the, the truths of the gospel and the merit of what Jesus Christ has done in our place, who draws strength from that gospel, who rests his hope in that gospel. It has this ongoing effect in our lives as we hold fast to it. That's why the the question I try to ask people when we're talking about their relationship with Christ is is not so much a were you saved, can you point to a particular point in time, as much as are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Is there an ongoing relationship, a sense of dependence on him? Is that the ongoing state of your heart? Because that's what what Paul's describing in Philippians. Think about when Jesus told the parable of the the soils in Luke chapter 8. He is preparing his disciples for what their task will be when he gives them the Great Commission, which is to make disciples, to go and to be making disciples as you go out into the world. As they are proclaiming the gospel, they are doing what he describes in Luke 8 as scattering seeds. They are are teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and it is a scattering of seeds. And Luke 8 is to explain to the disciples, there will be various reactions you will get to this. And, and, And you should not assume that people's immediate in-the-moment response or a quick prayer in that moment sort of encompasses their full response to the gospel. The response to the gospel is something that goes on for the rest of that, that person's life. And so in Luke 8, he talks about the seed being scattered. And he says, for some, the seed is scattered and they are almost immediately distracted. There is a a spiritual dimension here that they, they turn away from Christ and the gospel almost immediately. They're distracted and they do not believe. Others hear it and they seem to embrace it with some measure of joy, but then trials come and things go wrong and life isn't working out the way they thought and they turn from Jesus and they show that their heart never really was changed in the first place. There are also those who show signs of embracing the gospel, but then it gets choked out by what Jesus described in Luke 8 as the cares and riches and pleasures of life. In other words, the the gospel sounds good. It feels like it has some benefits, but eventually that that crowd, that part of the audience sort of drifts away from Jesus and he becomes just sort of a childhood Sunday school memory or, or, or someone who at one time seemed like he would fill a particular need but then didn't really work out for them over the long haul and they've sort of moved on from Jesus. But then in Luke 8:15 Jesus said as for that in the good soil as for that and I've added seed which takes root that's what he's talking about as for that seed which takes root in the good soil they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They are those who are persistently holding it. In both Philippians 2 and here in Luke 8, holding on to or holding fast are present tense verbs. So it, it, it's the, they are holding it fast. It's not just a one-time deal. It is the state of being for them. They are holding Fast to the word that they have heard. The the verbs in Philippians two and Luke eight are slightly different. They're both forms of the word for hold or have something, just different prefixes prefixes in front of them. But but the idea is to grab something and tenaciously hold on to it and to grip it. Those who are the good soil in which the seed takes root. Those who are the true believers in Jesus Christ hold fast to the gospel. It is their life and hope. It is what they depend on. When They, they still face trials. They still have temptations. Things still go wrong. They still get angry emails. They still run into situations that are difficult and arguments and, and people who are contentious and, and all of that stuff. But by God's grace... They run back to Jesus. They don't turn from Jesus. Instead, they embrace the reality of the gospel and its implications for that situation and and the forgiveness and the grace that comes from the gospel in that moment. And they cling to it with childlike faith. The the truth of this, the the behind the scenes of all this, is that our perseverance in holding on to the gospel is because God is already holding on to us because he is the, the great and sovereign one who holds his people and keeps them. It's not a one-sided grip. It's not all dependent on how well we can hold on to the gospel. The mystery, again, of Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is that this salvation that we are working out with fear and trembling is also one that God is at work in us to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so there's, there's both dimensions. There's the holding, but the holding that's based on his holding us. Paul said that earlier in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. God's gracious shepherding care of his sheep is what enables us to respond by holding fast to the gospel. So we cling to the gospel. We cling to the gospel that is sourced in the word of God. We have the word of God, the the word of God that brings to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has authored the gospel, and he has given us his word. And so I want to think about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment. Paul writing to believers in Thessalonica to stand firm, even as they are facing the threat of persecution. So their faith's being tested. They are coming up on difficult circumstances, and Paul is writing to encourage them and, and to help them to Be steadfast, to not be shaken by these things. These are folks, if if you've read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you know they are wondering if this is the the end of the world, essentially. Jesus must be coming back, or or maybe we missed it, or something went wrong because it just feels like such a mess. And so he's writing to say, no, 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 no. Stand firm. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by your letter. Hold to the truth. You've been taught. When he says traditions, the Greek word for traditions is a teaching, a doctrine, something given by some authoritative source, something that's been passed down in, in some way. He's what he's talking about to the Thessalonians, they don't have the, the New Testament like we do. He's saying the things you've been taught by the apostles, they were being taught what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were being taught about the life of Christ and, and his miracles and his death and his resurrection, and they were learning these things. They were being taught what it is to follow after Christ. That's that's what he means. By traditions. Take all of these things that you have been taught about God and His character and His will and about His spirit and His Son and the gospel and His justice and His mercy and His love, and take all of these and hold fast to what you've been taught. Grip it and hold it. It's interesting. He uses a different verb here than Philippians 2. And Luke 8. Both of those, again, sort of common word for hold with a different prefix. But here it's an interesting word. It's the uh, verb form of the noun kratos. If any of you are versed in Greek mythology, I had to look this one up. I am not. But kratos was the god of strength. And that's what the word means. It's, it's strength. And so this is the verb for a, a strong grip. You must, you must strengthen yourself with this. You, you hold fast to this, with everything you have, there's imagery that Paul is seeking to communicate when he is speaking of this holding here. It is a a, a holding that comes that, that that's almost a sense of desperation that I cannot let go of these things, these traditions, these teachings. We are commanded to hold on to God's word with all of our strength. To to take the teachings about. Christ, the Gospels, the Epistles, the Old Testament, the truth about who God is, and hold fast to these things. We have scripture. We're not just relying on oral traditions that the apostles came and taught. We now have them in writing. And so we are called to grab them and hold them. It's what you do when you are are, are starting to be pushed around by the wind or or, or stumbling in some way. One we we can all relate to when you're walking down steps. Have you ever been in a hurry going down the steps and you just started to miss a step? You overstepped or or you just started to stumble and the first thing you do is you grab for something. The railing, whatever's near, you just grab desperately so that you don't go flying down the stairs. You hold on to it to keep you from falling. That's the kind of urgency Paul's communicating in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Hold fast, grab at it for the sake of your life. You remember that at the end of Ecclesiastes, here's, here's the old man saying, I, I grabbed at all kinds of stuff. I tried to find my security and my hope and my sense of accomplishment and purpose. I kept grabbing at this and that, and it kept vanishing from me, and it wasn't there. And if I had grabbed onto it and held onto it for life, it's, it still would be gone. And so at the end of it, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Here's the one thing that is immovable, that you must hold on to. It is God's truth. If you're facing hardship, if you're under some threat, if you're walking in some suffering... Someone's not being gracious to you at all. If you are being tempted in some way, cling to the truths of God's word, what he says about himself, how his promises are given to you. Jesus is still faithful. His promises do not waver. Even if life seems good, you know, when we're we're striding along and we're not tripping, that's when we don't feel like we need to hold on to anything. And yet scripture says, hold fast. To these traditions. Hold fast to the word. You still need to hold on to the truth of God's word. You still need to meditate on it and ponder it and think on it and memorize it and recite it and have it spoken to you and preached to you because it's God's living word. When Paul finishes the letter, first letter to the Corinthians, he starts chapter 15, great resurrection chapter, and he, he tells them what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to essentially rehearse the gospel for you here. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, okay? Telling you everything I've told you, you're standing in it, you heard it, you received it, you're in it. Then he says, Um, Because this is that that gospel which you stand in is the truth by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Paul again is urging believers, hold fast to the word, cling to this. Think on what the Bible has said about who you were apart from Christ. Think about what God has accomplished in your salvation. Think about the hope that you have in Christ. Meditate on these truths. Pray. Pray. Read scripture, speak to one another uh, verses of scripture so that you would hold fast to these things. Don't let it slip. We have an enemy who more than anything wants to prove us as unstable, wants the world to see us as, as just as malleable that we can be shifted and moved and unsteady as, as the rest of the world. If, if, if there's a word for 2020, it's probably uncertainty that's that on, been on our lips over and over again because everything is so uncertain we have an enemy who wants us to look unsteady, not ready for what's coming next, not able to stand fast and, and to look foolish and not at peace, which is why Scripture keeps drawing us back to the character of God and His Word and says, hold fast. Let His Word convict you of sin. Let His Word speak to you and give you peace. Hold fast to it. One last thing. We're to hold fast to the gospel We're to hold fast to the word of God from which we receive the gospel. And finally, we hold on to our unwavering hope in Christ. This hope that comes from the gospel. That that no matter what happens, hold fast to this hope. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 is where I want to look. The writer of Hebrews clearly is aware of the parable of the soils that we talked about in Luke chapter 8. Uh, the, the church has been in existence long enough to see all of the cases in Luke chapter 8. The gospel seed has been scattered. Some have remained. Others have turned away. Some have been swayed by trials, Some have been swayed by temptations, and they are not following Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to people who profess to be committed to Jesus Christ, Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is, is, is greater than all, and, and he is the one who you can rest in. His, his gospel is true. God is reliable. God is faithful. And so he, he hammers some of these themes about the faithfulness of God. Even the, the great sort of hall of fame of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, all of these individuals in the Bible who are commended for their faith, all of them are tied back to God's work in their lives. The reason that they have this faith is because God is at work in them. And so one of the great concerns of the writer in Hebrews is to caution believers who are trusting in Jesus Christ to not be like those who would stray, who would not lose their hope in Christ, who would not be dissuaded from him. And so he keeps saying, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than angels. Trust him. Rest in him. And so he urges them to do that and and to bolster the idea of God's faithfulness. He takes them back. Uh, Hebrews is a lot of Jewish believers, so he takes them back in their ancestry to Abraham and says, remember God's promise to Abraham when God made a covenant with Abraham, how he would bless Abraham and give him a seed, he would give him a line. Even there, it is God by his character who cannot lie saying, I will do this. That in and of itself is sufficient. And yet, God swore an oath to Abraham that he would do this. He made a covenant with him. And so, the writer of Hebrews recalls that not only does God promise, but then he makes this oath or covenant by which he further binds himself to it. And so, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. God wants to show them that his purpose doesn't change. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, thus, that being the character of God and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'll switch over microphones because we're getting a little bit of popping every now and then in the one. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The writer of Hebrews is saying God's character is such that he cannot lie. We know that. And yet he, he makes it even that much more firm by making the covenant with Abraham. So now there's two unchangeable things. God can't lie and God makes an oath. And so the writer says he does all this, not just for Abraham's sake, but for ours. So we can look and we who have fled to him for refuge can know that God is faithful, that our salvation rests in this same unchanging God who, when he makes promises, does not change them. And so now we are encouraged to hold fast to the hope set before us. And then he goes on there and he describes what that hope is. That hope ultimately is Christ. the the one who came and who gave his life as a ransom and who died and now has ascended into heaven, our hope rests in the fact that we will experience the glory of the fullness of Jesus Christ. We are going to be where he is. We are following after Christ. And it is that knowledge that he has saved us, that he is in us, and that he is coming for us and we will be with him that gives us hope. Our hope is anchored to an immovable object. It's God. Therefore, we can boldly approach God's throne with confidence. We we can believe that he will hear us because his son, Jesus Christ, is our great high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. And we plead to Jesus. Jesus has already been exalted to the right hand of God the Father, and we belong to Jesus. He intercedes for us. That is where our hope is anchored, is with Christ. So we have, we have no reason to lose hope, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the other person has done, whatever we are experiencing, whatever the diagnosis is, our ultimate hope is anchored in Christ. He has gone before us like an anchor into the holy place of God And we are resting in Him. And so all of that is truth that is taught in Scripture, and we are called to keep holding fast to it and and to therefore be a a hopeful people holding fast to our hope. The, The writer of Hebrews unfolds this further in chapter 10, verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain... That is through his flesh, his death on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's saying that the guilty conscience, the sin, that which separated us from God, that which would have caused us to never venture into his presence because we would see already from a distance that he is holy and we are not, that has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. Therefore, he says, approach him with confidence, all promises of God that he has for you are embodied in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are to those who believe in Christ. So believe that and hold fast to it. Don't lose hope if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Not only don't lose hope, but as he indicates here in verse 23, it should be a confessed hope. It should be a hope that is, that is declared, that is public, that is visible for others to see. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So when they see that there is something different, by your living a life that is different as you pursue Christ, as you put your hope in Christ, be prepared to give them a reason for what they see. They should see hope. They should, in the midst of this world that, that feels so hopeless, that, that is pinning its hopes in all of the wrong things that are fleeting and, 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 and things that just won't always work out well, they should still see hope in us. Because our hope is in Christ. And if we are holding on to that in the midst of a hopeless world, and at some point people are going to wonder, why are you hopeful? What is it that you're hoping in? Scripture says to be ready to give a reason for that, because we have a God who does not waver. So one commentator puts it, our hope is based on the unfailing promise of God. Why should we not cherish it confidently and confess it boldly? If our hope is in him, then then that is that is where we are able to confess it and cherish it, because we know our hope is in a sure thing. What, what do we do with, with things that we treasure? Think about the things, the people, the relationships that you really cherish and treasure the most. What do we do? We hold on to them, right? We, we, we wish to keep them close. That's why it, it becomes so hard to say goodbyes. Because we treasure these people, and, and, and we, we don't want to be separated from them. That's been one of the hard parts about the, the pandemic for the people of God, is not being able to be with God's people, not being able to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we cherish that, we treasure that, we want to hold on to it. But amidst all of that, we have a treasure that surpasses that, a treasure that is immovable, that is unchangeable, that does not fade or perish. We have a treasure in Christ that is as valuable today as it was in eternity past when God deemed that that he would save, that he would redeem sinners. It is still as valuable today. Our, Our treasure is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God in which we find that gospel, and that's what gives us hope. I'm going to finish, and, and this is just going to bookend, where Ryan began us with our service this morning, reading from out of 1 Peter chapter 3, because I don't think there's anything that says it better than the way Peter did. I should say 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. There, there's nothing that says it better than what Peter said, and so I'm going to rehearse what Ryan read to you at the beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. means it's there, waiting for us. It is ours. It belongs to us. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold... Uh, that perishes, though it is refined by fire, gold, even gold, grasped gold, it still will vanish, it still perishes, but not this, so that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation coming of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That is our hope. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there's anyone this morning who's been listening to this that that does not share in an eternal hope, that is pondering even as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, the growing of age, the disease, the frailty, the Things that come with time that cause us to start to look forward and wonder if there's anyone listening this morning who is not fully trusting in Christ and does not have their hope rooted in Christ and his death and resurrection. Would you today bring them, draw them to trust fully in Jesus Christ? Lord, we we understand that our hope is rooted in an historical event. The Savior came. Lived a perfect life, gave himself as a sacrifice for sinners, dying on the cross, and then rising to new life victorious over sin and death. And that is our hope. Father, I pray for myself, for my brothers and sisters in Christ as we move into this new week. Cause us to be holding fast the gospel, the word, and the hope that we have in Christ. Cause us to hold it in such a way that others would see it that it would be our testimony that it would be clear to others that we have a hope that surpasses the the daily circumstances and is not shaken by them cause that that the steadfast that you steadfastness that you give to us would be something that would prompt people around us to wonder why why do we have this hope and may we be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us and that hope is in Christ it's in his name we pray